listeners, just to note that we will be talking about suicide in this episode. So just to be aware that that may bring up some intense emotions or feelings or experiences. So hoping that you've got some good things in place for self-care. Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with bereavement professionals. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Janet Christofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. In 1978, Kathy was five and a half. She was playing with toys, watching cartoons, and also adjusting to life with newly divorced parents. Her dad was living with his girlfriend, and her mom was struggling. But Kathy didn't really know that because she was five and a half, and she was too young to be involved with the emotional life of her parents. Then one day, her mom was gone. Her mom died of suicide, but Kathy didn't fully grasp that because at the time, the death wasn't clearly explained to her. Kathy went on to grow up in the shadow of her mom's death without truly understanding what had happened. And as it goes, when kids don't have all of the information, she started hearing things from other folks, like the kid up the street. And a lot of times the information wasn't so accurate. It wasn't until she was in her 20s and obtained the police report from the day her mom died that Kathy began to piece together the full story. Now in her 40s, Kathy continues to make sense of how her mom's death, as well as not knowing the entire story and having to fill in the gaps with her imagination and misinformation, affected so much about who she is, including her relationships and sense of well-being in this world. Kathy, thanks so much for being on the show with me today. Thanks for having me. And listeners, this episode is one in a series we're doing looking into what's changed and what's not changed about how we approach supporting grieving children over the course of time. The series started with the 1940s, so if you've missed that one, be sure to go back and listen. Today we're focusing on the late 1970s and early 1980s. So Kathy, I know today we'll be talking about what it was like to be such a young child when your mom died and how the lack of information affected you and also how you uncovered more of the story as an adult. And we'll also get into what did and didn't help in all of this. But first, let's start with what do you remember about the day that your mom died? Um, I remember it was Memorial Day weekend, and we were staying with my dad um, because my parents were divorced. My dad sat us down on the couch, grabbed tissues, and said that um, my mom was sick and had passed away. And I didn't know what that meant. Everyone was upset. My dad was crying. My sister was crying. So I started to cry because it was obviously upsetting. (laughs) Um, But I didn't clearly, I I didn't totally understand what was going on. Later, I had asked my sister when we were going home because they were divorced and we didn't live with my dad. We lived with my mom. So when you were going to go back to your mom's house. Right. When are we going back to mom's house? And my sister had to tell me that she was dead, that she said, we're not going home. Mom's dead which at eight and a half, that's not her responsibility. She shouldn't have had to do that. And I don't, you know, I don't know if I even really got it even with that. I think it took a while to sink in. So when you went to bed that night, all you knew was your dad had said, mommy passed away. Your sister said, mom's dead. We're not going home. Like when you went to bed, what did you think had happened? I don't remember. 
I do remember crying myself to sleep a lot and just feeling alone. And then I think once it kind of sunk in that she was gone, I do remember trying to pray, asking God, you know, doing the bargaining, like, I'll be good, I promise. I'll never be bad again. Just send her back. And then nothing happened. Like, oh, well, that didn't work. (laughs) Okay, I guess she's really not coming back and there's nothing I can do. What do you remember about what the adults in your life, because there was your dad, there was your dad's girlfriend who eventually became your stepmom. Mm -hmm. You had some grandparents in the mix, your older sister. How did they talk to you or not talk to you about your mom after she died? I don't think anyone really talked about it much at all. Um, I seem to remember that my grandparents, who were my dad's parents, had told my sister and I not to talk to my dad about my mom. And I I don't remember that being said to me exactly, but for some reason I think that's true. And that sometimes kids can just pick up on that even if they aren't directly told. Yes. Yeah. I didn't feel like my dad was really wanting to talk about it, for sure. But my grandmother did talk about it when I asked her. So she was really the only person that I could talk to about it. Otherwise, she was just gone. All her stuff was gone. Photos were gone. Clothes gone. Just everything was just gone. It's like she never existed. Like she just disappeared. Yep. Yeah. And how about your own grief? You're five and six and seven. Like, what do you remember about what your grief looked like? How did it show up in your life? I had a lot of stomach aches, throwing up a lot. Literally couldn't stomach what was going on. (laughs) I was definitely a scared kid, which makes sense because the world wasn't safe. So... If moms can suddenly disappear. Exactly. Yeah. Then nothing's safe. I just didn't trust anything. It took me a long time to to really... Did I ever really get over that? <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe I never really... I guess I've I'm kind of gotten over that. But I was definitely a hesitant, scared kid for a long time. Do you have a sense of what you were needing from the adults at that time that may have helped with those fears and helped with that sense that the world is unsafe? I think I just really needed them to talk about her and to to keep her memory alive, to tell me it wasn't my fault. I just assumed, being five and a half, the world revolves around me. I must have done something wrong. And, you know, my dad said she was sick. To me, that means she either had a tummy ache or a headache, because that's the only sick that (laughs) exists when you're that little. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember thinking, well, if I had only brought her a gift or brought her you know, some soup or something, then maybe I could have helped. I needed people to tell me that it wasn't my fault and there was nothing I could do and that she loved me. I needed a lot. (laughs) I mean, my grand, you know, it's not that I wasn't loved. I definitely was loved. I just, I needed her to just not be poof gone one day. You needed some really clear explanations of what had happened and yes, what had and hadn't happened. Exactly. And, and it really would have been nice to have a picture of her, even if it was just in my room, if, if it, you know, was too, too upsetting for my dad or my stepmother to have a picture of her, put one up in my room. I think that would have been helpful. In all of this, when do you remember the word suicide coming into the conversation? Hmm. I don't know. I have a weird memory of being 
in kindergarten, being in the lunchroom and telling other kids how I understood she killed herself. But there was a kid up the street that I don't even know where he got the story from because it wasn't actually how she died. Like I was telling kids about, you know, like what he had said or something. And I, I remember getting the sense from the other kids, from their reactions, like, this is not, this is not what I should be saying. But I felt the need to share it. Like I needed to process it. I needed to figure out what the heck happened. And I tried to, but it wasn't the appropriate way. And I soon found out, you know, just from kids' reactions, like, oh, okay, I think I shouldn't be saying this. Along those lines of, you know, not having the full story and and not really knowing when you realized it was suicide and how your mom died, you were able to find out more information when you got older. Mm -hmm. How did that affect you and what was that process like? Well, my grandmother did tell me information and was open to me asking questions and things. So maybe that's where I got some of my information. And then in high school, it was junior year in high school, I was doing research for, uh, they called it a heritage paper, where you traced your family back as far as you could go. And I went in the basement and was just looking for anything that I could find. And I found a newspaper clipping about her death, a notebook labeled evidence that had her suicide note, which was addressed to my sister and I. And that, that was what I needed. You know, my mom, in her words, saying that she thought she was a burden, she couldn't express her emotions, she couldn't show her love to us, and, and this is really the best thing, that we'll be better off without her and that she loves us. I'm like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is what I needed all along. But it was just sitting in a box in the basement. You discovered it by accident 10 years after the fact. Yeah. What were the feelings you remember having when you read that letter for the first time? It was very overwhelming. I was relieved to finally see in her writing that she loved me, and it wasn't anything that I did to cause her death. It was very helpful to find and would have been very helpful to have access to that all along. As you were growing up and you go to school and... I mean, I don't know if this is relevant to the time period of the 1970s and 80s, but you go to school and you're around other kids and many of them have two parents. How did that affect you being around those kids growing up with them? I felt different. I tried not to let too many people know. Only my close friends knew. As far as I know, everybody probably knew, really. <laughs> Am I kidding? <laughs> but at the time... As far as you knew, only a few I people thought, knew. Yes, I thought... It was only who I told, but I'm sure the whole town knew. It was a, it was a small town. Yeah, I, I always just felt different. It seems like that's something we hear from kids even now in 2018, kids who are grieving, kids who are coming to Dougie Center Peer Support Group, that they feel different, mm-hmm. and they get to come someplace where they're not different because everybody's different in the same way. Exactly. And you've been a volunteer for... 20 years, two decades worth of hanging out with kids in the volcano room and making popcorn and all the things we do at the Dougie Center. What's it been like for you to see kids maybe who are the same age that you were when your mom died and maybe their mom or dad died in a similar way? It gives me hope to see them here because I know that they will, well, I hope that they'll be okay. They have a, they have a fighting chance of being able to process their grief in a way that I was not able to, didn't know how to. I didn't have the tools. I didn't know what to do. I usually ended up just 
shoving my feelings down because <laughs> that just seemed like what our family did um, until that didn't work anymore. It really, being here gives me hope for the kids, even though they're facing, you know, a lifetime of grief like I am. They have much better tools and resources than I had. And it's interesting, too, to be a facilitator. I remember being in the training and some, you know, in the early years, I felt like a kid, too. Like, it was just as healing for me to share my story with the kids to find like community. This delay- yes, yes, find that community and to finally not be alone. To have a, a room full of kids and adults with the same story, it's so powerful and so healing. So I feel like even though I didn't come to the Dougie Center until however many years later after my mom died, I got that same healing that I feel I think the kids get when they're here. So that's like very the, grateful for the that. secret benefit of volunteering when people apply. Exactly. They don't always know they're going to get their own amount of grief support. Speaking of how grief you know, changes over time, and you mentioned that you have a lifetime of grief, that you'll, you'll always carry this with mm-hmm. you in some way. How would you describe your grief today? Like, how does it show up? I think it's still, I mean, it's definitely not as raw, but it still can be just as powerful, which is some sometimes surprising to me. It was just the... 40-year anniversary. It's just hard for me to wrap my brain around that. And that shook me a lot deeper than I than I thought it would. But I, maybe it's just the magnitude of 40 years. And if I don't pay attention to it and really acknowledge it in a really mindful way, then the rug can just get pulled out from under me. It, and I'm right back to being, whatever, five and a half. Just like, what is going on? Acting like, why am I so mad? And what? Why can't anyone do anything right? And why do I have a stomachache? Right. Why do I have a stomachache? Exactly. It's a it's a process. It shows up in in many different ways. Um, and even forty years later, it sounds like having some element of planning ahead or mm-hmm. kind of noticing, mm-hmm. okay, we're coming up on anniversary time, mm-hmm. have it in my awareness. Otherwise it will make itself known. It will. Since you were so young when your mom died, five, and then people stopped talking about her, how have you learned about who your mom was? How do you carry her into this world with you? Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to have a grandfather who took lots of pictures. So I have a lot of pictures um, so that gives me insight into who she was. My grandmother, her, which wasn't her mom, but my dad's mom, knew her and talked about her a lot with me. Her half-sister is still alive. We used to go up there because they live in Maine, and that's where my mom is buried, and we lived in Connecticut. Um, so we used to go up there every summer. We stopped doing that for some reason, but then as soon as I could drive, then I would go up every summer, kind of getting to know them help me get to know her as well. Even if we don't really talk about her, it's just even being in the presence of other people that are related to her helps me. Mm-hmm. I can see her in them. Yeah, and based on that research, basically, that you've done about mm-hmm. your mom, what are some words you would use to describe her? Mm-hmm. Caring, kind, artistic, creative, um, empathetic, maybe too much so, intelligent. It sounds like you're describing yourself. <laughs> oh. Thank you. That's flattering. (laughs) In our last couple of moments, what suggestions would you have for a family where 
a parent or a sibling dies of suicide and there's young kids in the house, three, four, five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. I would say contact the Tyka Center. (laughs) Get resources. There's definitely very good resources available through the Tyka Center. Um, And don't be afraid to tell the truth. Age appropriate, of course, but be available to answer questions because they'll come up at different times. Different questions come up. I would say put a picture in their room, multiple pictures if they want. Be patient. <laughs> if there was a note, let them have access to that, unless it's unless that's not appropriate. But for in my case, it definitely was appropriate. It, it was addressed to, to us, and that, that's what we, we needed it. Um, so if it's appropriate, um, access to the note and telling them that it's not, it wasn't their fault. One thing that I learned at the Dougie Center, it was very helpful, was to view suicide in the same way that heart attack or cancer is viewed. There was something wrong with the brain and this happened. It gets confusing because it looks like the person was acting of their own volition, which they kind of were, but they weren't thinking right. You know, so when I finally realized that, it took a while to really sink in, and it took a while to really believe that with all of my heart, but I finally do, and I know that there was nothing that I could do, and it was because her brain didn't work right, and that's why she died. But, you know, explaining that so that kids know that it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how important to be able to approach uh, a death by suicide or any other type of death that oftentimes comes with some stigma mm-hmm. or some shame and to approach it the same way we would approach any other type of death and to be able to explain that when someone dies of suicide, they are often in significant and tremendous pain, mm-hmm. mental, physical, emotional, psychic pain. Yes. And that is why someone died of suicide. Right. That's exactly what I needed. I needed that explanation. And I think all kids that that experience that need that explanation. It's very helpful. Well, Kathy, I so appreciate you coming on the show today and talking about an experience that happened when you were so young that you probably didn't have a lot of words for it. And Mm -hmm. then here you are as an adult trying to put that experience into words. So that is no small feat. Thank you. Indeed. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Janet. And listeners out there, uh, as I mentioned, this is one in a series of episodes about how supporting grieving kids has changed over time. So you can check out the other ones. If you want to listen to any of our past episodes, you can find them all at our website, dougy.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any other podcast platform you might use to listen. If you've got an idea for a topic or someone who might make a great guest, reach out to us at help at Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time.